Swami Bharat, and this is Naya Swami and Nandi, and we'd especially like to welcome all of you, <laughs> but also our guests and visitors at the Expanding Light, and all those watching online. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, uh, Commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Oh, I have next week's. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is uh, this week's is reason and intuition. <clears throat> Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus, when addressing his critics, appealed to reason and common sense. In his training of the disciples, however, he, like all great masters, encouraged in them the development of a higher faculty, soul intuition. For it is only by intuition that spiritual perceptions are, are achieved. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, we find Jesus drawing on the intuition of his disciples by asking them who they thought he was in reality. They immediately understood that what he wanted from them was a subtle answer, not some obvious reply based on his nationality, sex, and the like. Peter it was at last who understood and answered the question on its intended level, the spiritual. Thou art the Christ, he said, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him, saying, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for not by human nature 
was this truth revealed to thee, but by, but by my heavenly Father. And I will tell thee also, thou art Peter, which is, which is to say, a rock. And upon this rock will I build my church, and never will the powers of darkness overwhelm it. Jesus was pleased with his disciple for relating to the question on its deepest level. Reason could not give Peter the answer. The answer came through the faculty of soul intuition and proved him thereby to be a spiritually advanced disciple. It was his intuitive perception, that insight, which cannot be shaken by tempests of reasonable doubt, that Jesus praised in referring to him as a rock. The church he referred to next was the edifice of cosmic consciousness. Any outer church institution would have to depend on, as in fact the Christian churches have always done, on the level of understanding of its individual leaders and members. Peter's intuitive perceptions could never have been passed on to an outward succession of prelates. Clarity comes by direct soul perception. Confusion results from the excessive de dependence on reason as a guide to understanding. As the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita states, when your intellect at present confused by the diversity of teaching in the scriptures becomes steadfast in the ecstasy of deep meditation, then you will achieve final union with God. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone to um, welcoming you. And I'd like to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity, a book of prayers and poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. Through long, winding pathways of self-doubt, fording mighty rivers that separated thee from me, trudging over endless wastes of barren lives, tossing dangerously on the rapids of many ambitions, arduously climbing steep mountain trails of desire, and carefully extricating myself from whirlpools of alternating sadness and hilarity. At last, I have reached my journey's end. I look upon all those past travails with joy. Every struggle, Every past agony has produced a flowing spring of joyous, grateful tears. In the sacred waters of those tears, I baptize myself daily with deep love for thee. So beautiful. Today's talk on the reading, based on the reading Bharat did, reason versus intuition. So the Bible makes it very clear that Peter was not just answering 
Jesus' question based on his experiences. Peter could have said, who is he? Well, let's see, I've seen him heal a blind person, raise someone from the dead, make a lame person walk. He must be dot, dot, dot. But rather, he said, God has revealed it to you. Peter was in touch with a pipeline of divinity that was flowing from Jesus. And that connection with God's presence in himself and his ability to see it in Jesus, this is the foundation of a church. This is the foundation of a spiritual work. And so looking at this topic of reason versus intuition is very, very inspiring. Master, that's Paramahansa Yogananda, for those who don't know, Master had a, a great saying. He said, any fish can go downstream, but it takes a live fish to go upstream. <laughs> and, so, and so it is with reason and intuition. It's easy to reason. It, we fall into thinking, thinking, thinking very easily. It's not easy to reason well, I have to say. But to reason, to just think, to take in the information of your senses, to go on and on and on. We all know how easy it is to get into thinking and overthinking. But to put out intuition, it's interesting that the reading is on willpower. It takes energy to rise. Reason is happening in the mid part of our brain. And reason is the result of what we take in through the senses. And reason has brought us science and many, many great um, things that we've learned about our world. But Yogananda said something amazing. He said, reason has revealed only one one millionth of the nature of reality because it can only take information from the senses. It's through intuition that we can know all of it, that we can experience the divine vibration in all creation. Intuition is not in the brain, but rather in the chakras. It's in the spiritual eye and the heart. Spiritual eye is where we call out to God for understanding and the heart is where we receive it. But you know, it isn't even enough just to call from the spiritual eye. I was just reading a little booklet that I love to pull out every now and then called How You Can Talk With God. And Master explains that talking with God is not difficult. It's getting God to talk with you that's difficult. <laughs> so we can talk and talk and talk, and it's a good thing to do, definitely. But to get God to break his silence and speak to us, that takes not only the mind, but it takes the heart. So intuition, the more that we can ask for help, ask for clarity from God, not only calling from the spiritual eye, but invoking him with the passion, with the, the, the desperate need of our heart, with the longing of our heart, that's going to be more likely to, to get a response. There was a woman who came to the Expanding Light some time ago, and she was here for a week-long course with me. I felt very fortunate. She was born in Persia, which of course now is Iran, 
And Persia was a very, maybe Iran still is, I don't know, Persia is a very spiritual country. And this woman grew up with that spirituality, but she got married and moved to Canada with her husband, and there was a lot happening in their lives, and she sort of, her spirituality sort of went by the wayside while she raised her children and then went back to college to get a degree in biochemistry. And at this point in the story, she was working on a PhD in biochemistry. And she was studying like mad. There were thousands and thousands of facts that she had to learn. And she, she said, I was afraid to walk out of the house. I thought they would like fall out of my head. I had to like keep stuffing them in my head. Well, with great effort, her husband was going to go. She was in the east coast of Canada. He was going to the Rockies on the west side of Canada for a conference. And he, he just said, you've got to come with me. And so she did. And she spent her whole time in the hotel room studying her biochemistry. And the very last day of the conference, he said, please, the Rockies are right here. Let's go for a walk. And so she went out, and they came to the crest. And she, she saw the mountain crest ahead of her. And it reminded her of her childhood in Persia, where she just loved to climb mountains. And she just took off like a mountain goat. She was climbing the hills just very, very fast, leaving her husband behind. So she was all alone when she reached the crest of the mountains. And it was perfectly still. And she looked around her, and she felt God's presence. And she said, you know, I don't care a thing about biochemistry. All I care about is this presence. I just want to stay connected to this presence. And she went back, traveled back. She went to her oral exam. She was completely relaxed. She walked in. She easily answered every question that was put to her. It was just this sense that in God, the answers are there. Now, she'd done the work. It wasn't like she just walked in the door. She, She'd done the work, but then she'd put it aside, and she'd put it into God's hands, and she was in that intuitive flow where the answers come. A friend of ours from Italy, Assisi, Italy, one of our ministers there, was telling a story about having dinner with Swami Kriyananda. He and his wife were having dinner with him, just a relaxed evening, and out of the blue, seemingly, Swami said to him, you know, I live much more on the astral world than the physical world. And our friend, Jayadev, was kind of taken aback by this statement. And he said, you mean now, Swami? <laughs> and, and I think his image was like astral world is heaven, which it is. The astral world is the heavenly world. It's the world of energy. Maybe thinking Swami was like, talking to angels or seeing visions or he wasn't sure what was meant. Uh, but so that, since that was the only question he asked, I mean, I was a little bit wishing, come on, could you have asked him a little bit more? But instead, I had to meditate on that statement because it's a fairly dramatic statement. And I realized that is truly what was going on at Ananda all the time. What does that mean, live more on the astral world? It means that he lived on the world of energy. Each one of us has an astral 
body, which is more truly who we are than our physical body. Our physical body is a condensation of that energy body. And that energy body reveals our nature, our desires, our aspirations, our attachments, what kind of quality our energy is. And Swami was always tuning into that. And so, as we saw in Ananda, many things started. Swami, I don't think, ever asked to see a balance sheet to see how our finances were before he decided to do something like start a work in Italy or start a work in India. In both cases, the finances would have said, reason, reason would have said, don't do it. In fact, if Swami had gone by reason, Ananda would not exist because there were many, many reasons, most of them financial, why it was really impossible to do what we are, what we are doing. But he was reading the energy. And so when we walk into a room, we see somebody and we look at, oh, that's a nice new sweater that they're wearing, or their hair looks good, or they're smiling beautifully. He would just sort of sense energy. And sometimes he would walk up to somebody, or he, um, one of our friends, Helen Purcell, talked about a time when she had just moved to Ananda as a single mom with her two teenage daughters. And it wasn't easy on a lot of levels, teenage, moving teenagers, finances, all that sort of stuff. And she was walking to a satsang at Swami's house, uh, like for Christmas or New Year's or something, when the whole community was invited there. And she was just talking to Divine Mother. And she said, you know, I'm really, really grateful to be here. And I know everything's going to work out. And I know I can handle everything that's before me to handle. But Sometimes I just wish somebody would hold my hand. So she walked into the house, the Crystal Hermitage, and Swami was standing at the door greeting everybody who came in. They greeted him, walked in, they walked into the dome, into his house for the party. And when Helen walked in the door, he greeted her, and then he just took her by the hand and held her right next to his side. And he didn't just like hold her hand lightly, he held it just like a parent, like, you're not moving. And she just stood there and he held her hand the whole time he was greeting the people who came in. I had a number of experiences, especially up at the meditation retreat. Um, one time I got a phone call from Swami. It was about something important, but he just happened to call at the very moment that a fire had started at the meditation retreat. Moments later, uh, we were dealing with a, a, a potential forest fire, and he just happened to think of us at that moment and call. Another time, the temple up there collapsed, and we had the, the uh, residents were meeting in our dome, and it was about 7.30 in the morning, and the phone rings, and it's Swami. I was up there last night, and I left my hat in the dining room. I said, Swami, the temple just fell down. <laughs> it was just, he just could feel the energy. And I'm saying this not because, wow, that's so amazing how he was, but it's really what we all are trying to do. And I think more and more we're, we're having that a little bit happen at Anando, you know, where you think of somebody that you need to talk to and then there's a voicemail waiting for you on your phone or you walk into the... Uh, you, you go to Saturday morning to your, deliver your trash and there's the person that you needed to talk to. And those kinds of flows are happening among people who 
really are trying to <coughs> tune into God. But because of this uh, topic this week, I reread a book that I, I cannot recommend highly enough. It's called Where There Is Light. And it's by a man named Jacques Lucerne, who's a Frenchman who lived during World War II. And he, um, it's quite an amazing life, actually. He organized hundreds of young men into a resistance against the Nazis. He was later put in concentration camp and under outrageous odds survived the whole experience. But what makes it fascinating reading and very, very valuable for us as meditators is he, was, he became blind at the age of eight. He was just a normal kid running around and had an accident, lost his sight instantly, was blind. And this is what touches me so much. He talked about getting oriented to everything being black and walking on his father's hand. And he said, I realized that I was looking out too far. I needed to look more close in. And he's talking about intuition. And he said what happened was, he was only eight, he had that realization to bring his attention more inward. He said because his eyes didn't work. So he brought his attention more inward and suddenly he was filled with light. And that light, he was able in that light to orient himself. He, he would have, you know, he would walk with a friend, but he would often be able to tell the friend where they were, where they were. You know, there's, there's woods over there. We're overlooking a river canyon. He, he just could sense it from his intuition. And he would run and play with the other children. And he said the only thing, and the light would kind of guide him so he could be in a flow. But he said he would lose the flow if he lost his confidence, if he got fearful, if he got competitive, if he got angry. Suddenly he'd be back in blackness and he'd be like tripping over things again. But if he could stay in that connection with his inner self, he could be, he could move about easily. Now there's a passage in uh, autobiography of a yogi where Yogananda goes into his experience of cosmic consciousness, his first experience of samadhi. And at the end of it, he talks about saying that he realized that that experience of the heavenly realms came from a point of intuitive perception in his own heart. So this week, having read that book and reminded myself of this beautiful inspiration, I was trying to, I've been trying to do that more. Um, if you've ever had a meditation where you feel like you're, there's a lot of talking going on, let's put it that way, there's just a lot of talking. It's your reasoning mind, your, your conscious mind is talking, 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 it has plans, it has to get things done. You can literally feel it moving out, looking too far away, as Jacques Lucerne said. You're too far out of yourself. And sometimes it's hard to stop that talking, even with our very exalted techniques of Kriya and Hongsa and so forth. But what you can do is you can come to that point of intuitive perception 
in your own heart. Bring your mind back to your heart and to try to get to a deeper place in yourself that's not just thinking, but intuition. Anyway, it's been very inspiring, and I just wanted to share that as something you might want to try. And also to share a couple of other thoughts about how do we get more in touch with our intuition. One of them is that we, of course, as we know from Yogananda's teachings, that we sit in the silence after our techniques, that we just be in our spiritual self. Yogananda used to say, people are always praying to God, come to me, come to me, come to me. And he said, why would God want to go down there? You have to go to him. And that's trying to be, trying to lift your consciousness to this more of a being place where you can be with him. So that's one thing. Another thing is to keep ourselves, in a way, like what uh, Jacques Lucerne was saying, in a positive flow. So this uh, recently, I don't know if you're all aware of The Touch of Light, which is um, a blog written by Jyotish and Devi, Ananda's community uh, directors, spiritual directors. But if you don't have it, um, really make it, I can tell you how to get on it, and it's a really great thing to have. But in a recent blog, Davies shared a story that is so important to understand. She talked about, um, she was talking about a man in India who, a young man, was dying of dysentery. And he, he was completely depleted, exhausted, in terrible pain, and his life force was going. He was going away, he was dying. And he had just tears just streaming down his face. And the great woman saint, Ananda Ma, came into the hospital room. And she saw him there and she said, I can't help you like this. She said, you have to smile. He said, Ma, how can I smile? You know, he was so depleted of energy. She said, you have to try. And so he just, he just did everything he could to kind of just give the tiniest little smile, the best, the best he could do, considering how depleted he was. And as soon as he did that, she started massaging his body all over very, very vigorously. And he became well. He was healed. And you think, well, well couldn't she have done that? that massaging thing first. No, she couldn't have. She needed us, she needs us to, to reach in the direction of the positive flow. Um, as Master has said, Satan is on one side of us, God is on the other side, and neither one can help us until we turn in their direction. So that positive energy that we have to try to put out and as I said recently, Master said to one of his most advanced disciples, don't tie my hands with negativity. Tie my hands, meaning he can't help you if you are negative. These are powerful things and important to tune in to this, be able to tune into inspiration. But I think one thing to keep in mind in terms of intuition is each one of us is unique. 
you are going to find God in a way that is totally your own. Not like anyone else's. There may be people that you know, and I know many of them, who are doing great things in this world. And others of them, others of us, are very, very humble. And we don't have a big mission. And it doesn't make any difference to God. All God cares about is, is that we are loving him, period. I really have always loved reading about uh, Brother Lawrence, the, the great soul who wrote um, Practice the Presence of God. He was quite incompetent. He just talks about how I, you know, I really can't do anything, but luckily God takes care of me, and because of that I was able to survive the situation, and they sent him on some other errand, and you know, he just didn't have the ability, but he was trusting God, and God worked through him, and I thought, yes, I like that. That's, that's nice. Uh, with so many competent people around, it's nice to know that these, these or ordinary people are connected to God. It's not a matter of achievement. It's a matter of focused love and devotion. I had a I don't know if I should share this. I, I'm going to share this. I had a, a realization this week, and I, I tried it out on Salbury, and she said, could you repeat that? So I'm not sure if it's, you're going you're to understand this, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, we are always trying to get out of the way. That's the devotees. What the devotee tries to do is put the small self aside and let God come through. But we can only do that to the limit of our limitations at the moment. We may have too much attachment to something or too much ego here or there. And so what came to me was the idea that we have to get out of the way in terms of getting out of the way. Okay, so not everybody's getting that either. <laughs> in other words, you try to get out of the way, but you can only do it as well as you can do it. And that's got to be fine. The main thing is that we try to let God come through us. And to just close, I wanted to share a story of Swami's that was so sweet and so visual and helpful. He said that when he was working on one of his books, uh, people would bring him a thermos of coffee to help him, you know, just kind of stay focused. They'd bring the coffee and drink it, and he'd be working, and they'd, you know, bring him lunch or dinner or whatever. And so when the people who were helping him went away, uh, he had to do the coffee himself. And he went to uh, fill the thermos with water to see how much water to pour in to boil for the coffee. And he filled it with water, and he poured it into the pan, and it was really awful. It was black, coffee-ish water. I mean, the, the thermos must have been lined with coffee. No one had washed it. And so he thought, okay, well, I don't want to drink that. So he just kept filling it with water pouring it into the pot, oh, that's a little bit better, filling it with water, pouring it into the pot, and eventually, in the process of flushing it out, he got clear water. And he said, you know, that's a very, very good example for who we are and how to live in this world. We can't be the perfectly free, intuitive, perfectly in, in line with God souls that we want to be all the time. We have limitations, we have resistances, we have egos. But what we do is we try to be that person. We fill our spines with water and they come up a little bit cloudy. 
but we do it again and we do it again and eventually if we keep offering our service to God with his energy flowing through us however imperfectly eventually it will th flow through us perfectly and that will be our connection with that intuitive perfect flow so let's just take a moment to think about this Blessed, blessed, the whole life that is given to God. Blessed, blessed, the ways where his feet have trod. Joys that human heart can know. May his love on you bestow. May all dangers from your path be moved. All delusion by his truth. Yeah.